And we wish Al a good morning. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. A uh, little bit of rain here. Not, uh, oh, I don't think we even got a tenth of an inch. But well, we got an inch bit. and a quarter because my husband actually put the, um, the the gauge out last night. So I was so excited because I had been watering, watering, and I was getting like, oh, it's going to be in the almost 90s. And so luckily here we got a little more, I think. An inch and a quarter you got? Boy. That's uh, so what my husband said, at least unless our rain gauge is off, I don't know. It looked like that when I was when I was going for a walk. Looked like we were really going to get it here, and then it kind of just it, it didn't come here. Oh. I don't know where it went. Well, obviously you could see it was over your direction. So it's uh, I, you know driving around. I have seen so many deer. I expected to see one at the gas pumps when I pulled in today to get gas. I thought it wouldn't surprise me to have a deer there. A local. Uh, garden center here has problem with deer coming in and they have those little packets where you get three or four plants in one little mm-hmm. plastic packs and the deer come in and eat those oh. during the night so they've had to put a, <laughs> a fence around it to keep it because it's right in a oh. corridor oh dear <laughs> so it's right where the deer have been coming for generations and they're going to keep coming so it's Carl Miller, who's a professor, boy, let's see if I can get this right. He's a professor of wildlife ecology. I know that, and I want to say it's, I know it's at the University of Georgia, and I want to say it's at the School of Forest Resources. I hope I've got that right. But he's a a foremost authority on white-tailed deer. He said that the U.S. deer population was estimated to be 25 to 30 million in Christopher Columbus's time. I'm not I have no idea how they estimated that, but uh, wow. it was a good job to come up with one. But he said that hunting and habitat loss greatly reduced deer populations through the years, and by 1900, their numbers had declined to 350,000, so Whoa. from 30 million to 350,000. But since then, deer populations have surged, so now we're 30 to 35 million as a result of the elimination of predators like wolves, wildlife conservation efforts, uh, controls at hunting. I heard a barred owl call, uh, that who cooks for you, who cooks for you all. And so many birds have kind of a backstory. Harriet Tubman is known for her work on the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. She was a scout, a spy, a guerrilla soldier, a nurse for the Union Army during the Civil War. And she was also a naturalist who used the call of an owl to alert refugees and freedom seekers to come out of hiding and continue their journey to escape from slavery. And the call was believed to have been that of the barred owl, sometimes called a hoot owl. Uh, Roger Truax of Albert Lee, I ran into Roger in Yuma, Arizona, of all places. So he just, he wondered uh, what the most common hawk is in Minnesota. And red-tailed hawks are here year-round, Roger. They're the most commonly seen, <clears throat> seen raptor in the Gopher State. They're the most common hawks in North America. They're the large highway hawks that find roads to be excellent hunting grounds. Linda Lighting of Lake Crystal saw a first spring male summer tanager in her yard. These are kind of multicolored birds, really lovely. Pete Steiner of Mankato saw a common yellow throat. Tim Scott sent me a photo of a barred owl taken by his neighbor. Nancy Braun had... um, 
a female brown-headed cowbird fighting with the outside mirror on her car. And Nancy said it just wouldn't leave. It was uh, intent on fighting with that other female brown-headed cowbird. Uh, Doug Kahn of Albert Lee was in the Mayo Clinic in Albert Lee directing traffic for a mother mallard and her nine ducklings to get across the parking lot. And I asked him how that worked. He said, well, I only got honked at by a couple of drivers. So I think that was a victory there. And there's a, it's right by the lake, so he just let them until they could get there so they could go downhill to the lake. Uh, Dr. Steve Schwartz, a retired dentist now uh, in Albert Lee, saw, he said, cat birds. They look like they're wearing expensive suits. And I, I agree with you, Steve. <laughs> they do kind of. Uh, <laughs> they do. Reverend Milt Ost, or Ost, he has written a couple of wonderful books, uh, historical things, and he's a good guy. He said, why do pelicans hang around here if they're not nesting? I guess, uh, Milt, they have to be somewhere is the easiest way to say it. They don't nest or they don't breed till they're at least three years old and maybe not until they're five, depending on you know, just how things go. So they're, they're somewhere, they're fishing, they go where the fishing's good, and they can move around a lot. A Gunner Berg of Albert Lee uh, takes just incredible photos. He sent me photos of Swainson's thrush, yellow-throated vireo, uh, warblers, black burnian, black-throated green, magnolia, black pole, chestnut-sided, bay-breasted, and more, all taken from... Uh, He's got like a little shack about the size of an outhouse in his yard, and he has water below it with some running water. And he just sits in there and takes these pictures, and they're they're amazing. I shouldn't say he just sits there. He works at it. (laughs) Uh, Steve Zank of Albert Lee said at Big Island State Park, May 20th, there were a great number of common nighthawks. I think that's what they were because they had a white spot under their wings. Is it common for them to flock like that? Uh, Steve, they do migrate in flocks, and I love seeing those white patches flash as they pursue insects. Uh, Julie Knudsen of Heartland sent a video of a barred owl. Vicki Laroon and Tom said, we were lucky enough to see a pair of sandhill cranes yesterday in a marsh on County Road 2 between Montgomery and Elko Newmarket. We're wondering if they're likely to nest there or are they just stopping to feed at this point? So curious about the likelihood in case we get a chance to see the colts raised and take flight. Always hopeful to see the magic of the bird world. Thanks for being here on Tuesdays. Well, Vicki and Tom, thank you for being here on Tuesdays. They make a nest. It's piles of grasses heaped, and it may be across five feet. So it's a big nest. Uh, females will lay one or usually it's two eggs that I see in the nest, and both birds incubate them. Uh, chicks are born in about 30 days. They have this fuzzy yellow-brown feathers, and they're usually born in mid-May around that time. It's a little weather-dependent, so I would think they would have colts now. They will re-nest if they lose eggs to predators. The colts can fly by mid-July. And the families feed together on tubers, which are a swollen underground plant stem like a potato, uh, worms, grasshoppers, snails, frogs, seeds, snakes, uh, mice. They'll even snatch a small bird if the opportunity presents itself because they certainly are omnivores. Uh, 
A listener said, do pigeons mate for life? Well, yes, and then I have to add, generally they do, because, you know, things happen. It doesn't work out. They don't uh, have any uh, babies. They can't raise babies for one reason or another. They might, uh, might call it quits, but generally they mate for life. The parents take turns incubating the eggs and feeding the squabs, and both male and females provide a crop secretion called pigeon milk that they feed their babies. Hmm. And Neil Opstead of Albert Lee asked, where do the Baltimore Orioles go? Well, Neil, some will be nesting in your neighborhood or your yard, but they breed from Louisiana up into central Canada. And they leave as early as July for wintering grounds in Florida, the Caribbean, Central America, and South America's northern tip. And I know in Costa Rica, I would see, I want to call them our Baltimore Orioles, and that's what they call them down there, too, is our Baltimore Orioles. So it's, uh, they're really, uh, really beautiful birds. Uh, also, why do so many people hate wolves? I think much of it is because of fairy tales, like mm. Little Red Riding Hood, but that's just what I think, and, uh, you know, like every human, I'm I'm often wrong, but I think that has a, a great deal to do with it. I didn't know that a lot of people hated wolves. Where I don't even know where that came from. I've never hated wolves, no. but, boy, there are some folks that just do not like wolves. I know I don't people know don't like snakes, Al. I've heard that one a lot because whenever I say my kid has snakes, they're all, don't talk about it even. So, uh, yeah, and, and snakes are very harmless. So, <laughs> most, well, at least they around are, here. Around here. Some of the, some of that has, uh, oh, like biblical, where they talk about the snake and, it's, and the stories have made it the devil a snake. And maybe that has something to do mm. with it, too. You know, you're taught all these things when you're growing up or hear them, and maybe that has an impact. One thing I do know is somebody asked, would a plastic owl keep squirrels away from my desk? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Squirrels have a yeah. good sense of smell, and it may look like an owl, but it smells like a discarded Lego. I don't think anything and, keeps squirrels away because I think they just they just decide that everything, life is a playground is what I think. I was watching uh, three, there's three owls that somebody had placed in kind of a pile of plastic owls and they were all upright and there were a pair of mallards sleeping by it and there was a songbird perched on one of them one day it's a place i go by a lot and one day there was a raccoon a baby raccoon on the dock this was a couple years ago and he's walking down the dock, and he sees these things, so he kind of does that. You know how cats arch their back? Raccoons kind of do that same thing because this was, he didn't know what that was. But he was curious, just like a cat, so he kept getting a little closer, and then you could see his nose just go out, and he's sniffing the air like crazy. And after he smelled them a while, he paid no attention to them whatsoever. So they may look like a, a live critter to him, but as soon as he could smell them again, they smell like a discarded Lego or a, <laughs> uh, a broken Barbie or something like that. So he was no longer frightened and just walked right up there and found a fish that somebody had put on the dock and took that and left. So it's... Uh, yeah, they don't work, and I know they sell them, and we've probably all bought one. And so we just we join that crowd that we uh, we are plastic owl 
owners, and uh, <laughs> you know they're nice. It's like a pet rock. We don't have to feed them or do much anything with them. So. But they don't really work really for anything, do they? I mean, I can't believe how much no. they cost, and then people buy them, and I think, was it really worth it? No. I would guess if you put one right on top of a feeder, they might not come in, and oh. that'd be because it blocks the feeder. Oh, okay. So there's just not room there for them. So, yeah, I don't think they work at all. And um, it's, I know some folks have had success, but it might be that they're just blocking it. Sometimes, you know, the, the bird that's bothering you, when the change of seasons come, they've got other other things that they have to take care of. So they aren't, they're pooping on your car anymore. They're, they're off pooping on somebody else's car. Or something might happen to that bird. You know, things change too. So, but I, I just, I don't have much faith in plastic owls, and I, um, I don't have anything against plastic owls. I just don't <laughs> think they do their job. Hey, Al, we've got a lot of folks who have either texted or emailed or Facebook questions. Can I, can I go through some of those so they can get those answered? Sure, please. All right, here is one. This is for Albat. I was going through my Birds of Minnesota field guide and realized I have very few water birds checked off. What are some good birding spots in the state to view water birds? Um, yeah, I guess wherever there's water. <laughs> One of the, the best, it, it depends on the season, too. In the spring, oh, my golly, you know, almost any uh, pond out in the field, you're going to pick up uh, all the ducks and geese if you just look at all those. In the wintertime, uh, oh, Lake Superior is a wonderful place to go up there. I remember going out uh, uh, walking on one of the breaks there to see harlequin ducks and things that are just wonderful. And there's always something showing up there. Other than that, just pretty much all the natural lakes. Well, I shouldn't say natural. The man-made lakes are great. And I have to throw in sewage ponds. Yeah. And I know that's not, <laughs> not everybody's idea of the perfect birding outing is to go to a sewage pond. But boy, they have a lot of lot of birds there, and uh, you know you'll find everything from uh, great egrets to great blue herons to all the ducks, all the geese, a lot of shorebirds. So anything that uh, all the swallows, anything that has something to do where they need to be around water, you will find at sewage ponds. A friend of mine was always going to write a book about the sewage ponds of Minnesota. I don't know how she's coming on it, but I hope well. <laughs> It's, uh, you know, is it, uh, oh, you know, that's, love the smell of sewage ponds. I've said a number <laughs> of times when I'm leading people around looking at sewage pond birds. But anywhere there's water is a good place to look. Uh, standing water, probably lakes more than rivers to find these, although you will find them on rivers too. Al, and other, do yeah. you think it's more likely, like you find a lot of these birds up north in Minnesota because there's maybe more of a concentration of lakes, or doesn't it really matter where in the state? Because I'm just wondering, because we're southern Minnesota, we've got lakes too, but maybe there's more concentrated lakes up further north? Yeah, we have so many lakes. You know, we people argue about if we have 12,000 and some or if we have 15,000 and some. No matter what, it's <clears throat> it's more than 10,000 lakes. And the thing is, is, in the spring and fall, we get all those water birds, shore birds, wading birds, ducks, geese. We get them passing through here. 
so uh, we get a lot of birds passing through here. Uh, this year was was pretty good for seeing waterfowl and water birds. It just seems like it takes them a while to get here, and then when they get here, the weather turns nice and they're gone. So they weren't here uh, necessarily a long time. But uh, spring is a wonderful time to see them. Uh, number one, because there's a lot of them here. Number two is because they're in breeding colors for the most part. So you see these beautiful colors. Uh, some of the birds we don't see in uh, the prime colors in the fall. But I guess uh, just, you know, look for water is uh, <laughs> the best advice. I, I don't mean to be flippant in that answer in any way, because I, I hope you see every bird you want to see uh, t- at least 10 times each. Okay, this is from Jeff in Janesville. Good morning. Uh, this weekend... Had lots of baby Canadian geese at Lake Elysian Park. Great gray hair on every morning sitting on the edge of the reeds. Beautiful, big, graceful birds. And of course, the pelicans seem to like this end of the lake early in the summer. Sometimes they're sitting 10 feet off the shore. So great to watch them striking down in the water with those long beaks to catch their breakfast. I think that they like the Lake Elysian because it's so shallow they literally can reach the bottom with those long beaks almost anywhere on the lake. Al, what do pelicans eat? I assume small or not so small fish, but what else? Thanks, Jeff in Janesville. Hey, thanks, Jeff. They uh, One of the things they really like are crawdads or crayfish. Really? So that's, yeah, they love oh. eating those. And for the most part, they like rough fish because they can't, they don't dive, so they can't get down deep enough to get uh, the what we consider game fish or good fish. Uh, they would love to eat walleyes because they walleyes are good. So they do eat that kind of fish, but they will eat uh, you know, pretty much anything else that shows up in the water, I guess. But they love crayfish, and I watched them eat that. Ten feet away, that'd be pretty cool. You get good pictures with a cell phone camera there so that's really neat do we have crayfish here i don't even know what a crayfish looks like i don't think yeah i grew up along the uh uh, sometimes dry shores of or nearly dry shores of mule lake yeah and they made these little chimneys little mud chimneys really would all have we call them crawdads and they would be down in there and i would collect them and put them (laughs) in one of my mom's cake plates and put them up in my room so i could study on them and mom and have to come up there and say you need to empty those out i need to make a cake for this weekend so i never told anybody when they're eating the cake that uh, there might there used to be crawdads in that cake pan but yeah they uh they do well on fish jeff they, and you're right they do like lake elysian because it's uh, pretty shallow i always thought the uh the Golden Bears of Janesville, which isn't very far from Lake Elysian. They should have been the Pelicans, just because of the Pelicans yeah. I used to see on Lake Elysian, but nobody would listen to me. It's a, um, they're beautiful birds. They are huge, and they have a uh, great ha- great appetite. And I read somewhere it says their bill can hold two and a half gallons of water. Put that much in there. So what they do, Jeff, is they just go in there with their mouth open, whatever's there, they put in there, and then they tip the bill and dump all the water out, and then they swallow. Oh, interesting. Here's one like from... Like I said, a lutefisk feed. 
here's one from John in New Ulm. He said, the gnats are bad by my place. Accidentally scared a deer in my dad's backyard. Also, lots of dragonflies in dad's yard in Andover. He was there for a few days. He said, I had a ceiling fan not working. I took it to a therapist. I found it had a fear of heights. Oh, well, gosh. News you can use and a bad original humor by John. (laughs) Thank you, John. Yeah, the gnats can be nasty, and again, those are buffalo gnats or black flies, so we don't necessarily have to go up north to enjoy being eaten alive by black flies. Uh, I used to have the previous generation, I would hear them refer to them a lot as white socks. White socks? I'm not exactly sure why, but... And the dragonflies, they're mosquito hawks, and they do eat mosquitoes, so it's always nice to see dragonflies. Yeah. And they are so beautiful. Uh, there's a uh, Minnesota dragonfly book that helps folks Ooh. identify dragonflies, and there's people like birders that go out and look for dragonflies. That's their, their thing. Hmm. Is is there something you could do to prevent or make gnats not bother you so much is there a thing you know they have mosquito repellent stuff like that does they're an act repellent i use vanilla vanilla extract okay and it makes me smell good makes me smell like i've been baking so people (laughs) like you when you smell like you've been baking. if you smell like cookies what the heck right yeah they'll they'll say what's your favorite and i'll say well i like long johns so then they think i'm making long johns so (laughs) It's a good thing. Uh, Here's one from Jennifer, who has started to write us on a regular basis. Hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about the cockatiels I had when I was a kid. Fred and Wilma were sold to us by a breeding as a breeding pair, and my family was excited to raise chicks. They must have liked each other because I saw them frequently doing the birdie deed, (laughs) which included a lot of head biting and flapping each other with their wings. Wilma laid eggs in the nesting box, and they took turns sitting on them. No babies ever came. Eventually, we gave the birds to a family friend who raised birds. After a few weeks, Fred and Wilma were both birdie moms. They were both girls. Does stuff like this happen in nature? Do you think Fred took on the role of the fella because they were unknowingly kept in the the single-sex environment, you know, in the cage? Thank you, Jennifer. Hey, thanks, Jennifer. Yeah, I certainly do. Um, we used to see it in um, in our hens. If we didn't have a rooster, one would uh, would kind of take over, pretend it was a, a rooster anyway. And uh, I've read uh, articles about hens that will uh, will try to crow oh. chickens. So. Yeah, and I don't think they're good at it, but it, it, one of them will kind of take over as the being in charge there. And um, what they do mainly is they found out there's a mansplain. So the <laughs> hens, one of them will take over that, saying, no, actually, this is how this food gets here. It's, so, yeah, that's um, it happens on occasion. So um, it's, I guess, I don't have anything else to add to that, I don't think. But thanks, Jennifer. And here's... I, I did, Oh, go ahead. I read something about cockatiel a while ago that was named from some Scottish writer and naturalist named him Cockatiel. Hmm. That's all I remember about the article, but it was a Scottish (laughs) fellow. Okay. And here's an email. Uh, Hi, Karen. It says, um, this is about, let's see, I've got to find it here. Very windy. So much coming off the trees. Uh, It's not 
from the cottonwoods, but it looks like it's snowing. Do you know which trees that are those that are shedding? I don't remember it being like this only later when the cottonwoods are losing their fluff, or maybe it's just early this year, question mark. From Miriam. Yeah, yeah it might be early because that's what I think of too. And uh, I, I remember going up to Alaska, and of course they'll tell you everything is much bigger than in Texas, so it's it's really big up there. And it'd be fluff on the ground, almost like snow when you'd walk along. And it's, you know, I think around the first of June or so, uh, end of May, when I start seeing cottonwood fluff in the air. And again, it depends on the, the year. Uh, some years, it's it, we're weather dependent again on some things. I don't... I hope I'm right. Maybe there's a doctor listening. I think they, I was told by a doctor once because I asked him. I don't have allergies, but I asked. And he said that he didn't think cotton fluff had anything, any impact on allergy. It just seems like it should with all that pollen and stuff, but maybe not. But I would guess that's what it is. We do have some other trees that provide a little bit of fluff. We have some plants that provide fluff. And, of course, we have our friends, the dandelions, that are sending those things all around. So we do have other things that do that. But when you get a lot of it, I I still just think of of cottonwood. So So probably. I I try not to give any medical advice. So I hope the doctor (laughs) was right when he told me it wasn't a big concern because I think tree pollen is one of the big things for people with allergies. So I wouldn't know why cottonwood would not be included in that, but he said he didn't think so. So, And I believed him because he was charging me, so I had to believe him. So here's one from a, a Facebook uh, from Cheryl in River Falls. She said, a question for Al, what's the best kind of bird bath? I know there are issues with birds not being able to be on a slippery surface. And there are a lot of great ones. I use uh, old dog food dishes. I put them on an elevated oh. um, a little stand. And mine has a heater in it, too, so I use it all, all winter long because it keeps, it keeps it open. And then I put a rock in there. So it gives them something to stand on uh, in case it rains a lot. If we've got an inch and a half, you know, then that it'd be right up. Uh, overflowing or to the top so and they don't like it that deep so i i put that rock in there which allows them to drink from it and they can flop around in the water and it's fun watching the two birds that just seem to love it are robins and blue jays they get in there and they just get soaked it's um, incredible how they get soaked in there and then they'll fly up on the railing of the deck and just shake and preen and shake. And then it's just like they say, well, you know, I'm just not quite clean enough. And back in they go. And they just seem to find such joy in it. And then, of course, having drinking water uh, at certain times of the year, and especially the you know, last couple of years where we've been through a drought, is awful nice to have. So as far as which one, you want them fairly shallow. Uh, I like having them up a little bit, although you certainly could put them right on the ground. They don't care what they look like. I don't think they care what they're made of. But you can always put a rock or two in there that helps them, gives them uh, the ability to drink without having to get right down in the water. So thanks, Cheryl.
Is there is there something about I've seen those plastic ones and they just seem so flimsy. I know they're a lot cheaper, but then and then there's ones that are cement and then there's ones that seem like they're more of a porcelain or a ceramic. Does that matter so much? I I haven't found it does. I had the cement ones and they just uh concrete or whatever they're made of they just fall apart oh, on me I, okay. I don't know maybe i'm just hard on them i don't maybe i have overweight birds or something <laughs> i don't know so i i i just really like these uh dog food dishes okay and uh they uh they're a plastic they have a little metal on them but primarily plastic and they i leave them outside all year because i i operate them all year and boy they just take a beating and i sometimes you can get them on sale pretty reasonable in, in other uh, words you don't have to spend anything for a fancy bird bath because some of them you see that are, are, are very expensive and they're very fancy and the birds sound like they don't really care what it looks like no, and we would get that just for us because we want our yard to look nice. Or, you sure. Know, we like looking at it. They don't care. They just, it's got water in it. They're happy with it. And I, you know, you can get bird heater the, mm-hmm. that heats the water that you can put down there, and they're fairly expensive too. And if you want to do that, that's fine. But I, I really, again, I just like these. And being a cheap guy, it, <laughs> it doesn't spin the electric meter at all when I'm running it. So I just, hey, uh, thanks, everybody. Man, it's great to hear from you all. And uh, I, I know I gave at least one correct answer there somewhere in there. <laughs> so uh, thanks for sitting on the front porch. You know, when I was a small boy, the older kids played hide-and-seek, and I would beg them to allow me to take part. This was a little town called Bath, had a population of about three, and I'd say, they were older, and I'd say, could I play? And they told me to bug off or, or to kick rocks. That was a big saying then, go kick rocks. But I wouldn't take no for an answer, and I wore them down just by going, come on, hey, you guys, come on, come on, come on, let me... They gave in because good hide-and-seek players were hard to find. (laughs) They told me to hide, and they would seek. I went across a rural road to St. Aidan's Cemetery and hid behind a towering tombstone in the shape of a snag with a broken limb. I was a hot dog on the 4th of July for the mosquitoes, but I was a great hide-and-seek player. They never found me. (laughs) Turned out they hadn't even looked for me. I hope you find all that you look for today. Great to hear from you all. Remember Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a word, at a bird. Thank you, Karen. I enjoyed your company very much. Well, thank you, Al. It's always great to chat with you. Uh, happy bird watching. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Always great to have Al Bat on. And uh, we will put those shows up on the, the uh, podcasts that we have, KMSU. You can go to the streaming app and under... A birding with bat or go to the kmsu website kmsu.org under podcasts and you can find those i try and get those up uh one of our listeners said hey do that in a more timely way and i've been really working hard to do that so uh after i'm done with the show i try to get them up right away and then you can listen in case you missed something or you want to re-listen or you only caught part of it that's the way to do it okay it is 10 34 rather i've got music now newer stuff from lucinda williams this is new york come back <laughs>